We've been studying the tests of Abraham in his life, and we come today to the seventh test that Abraham faced in his life in chapter 22. And here in this chapter, Abraham goes to the top of the mountain to make the great sacrifice of his son. He's asked by God to place Isaac, his son, on the altar and sacrifice him to the Lord. Of course, we know the story. The Lord stopped him and provided a lamb, a ram, caught in the thicket in the place of it. But we can truly call this the test with reference to Abram's faith. His faith is tested, and our faith will be tested. This, as we know, is not the first test of Abraham. There are, this is the seventh test that is recorded for us in Scripture. And as we said several weeks ago in verse number 1, and it came to pass after these things. So after the first six previous tests, we come to this seventh test that we want to talk about today. Our faith is going to be tried. Write this down somewhere if you don't have it written down. But a faith that is not tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. A faith that is not tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. God will test your faith, and He'll test my faith. And consequently, we can trust that faith because it has been tested. And the greatest trials that we face in our life are those trials that come to us directly from the hand of God Himself. One of the greatest examples of that is when the disciples were on, in the storm on the midst of the sea. Jesus had told them to get into the ship and go to the other side. He specifically told them, and doing what God told them to do, they found themselves in the middle of a storm. And sometimes God brings trials that are directly from His hand. And He does so to help us to understand that our faith grows as we walk with God. If you've been saved for any number of years, you know that your faith is growing. Amen? If it's not, there's a problem. Also to show us that though we fail one test, it doesn't mean that our walk with God is over. Abraham, as we've seen in the first six tests, he failed some of them. He passed others. He's going to pass the greatest test of all that we'll look at in just a moment. Sometimes we get the idea, and the devil would love us to think that if we fail one test, we're finished. It's done. It's over. That's not the case. Proverbs says, though a righteous man, though he falleth seven times, he riseth up again. We get back up, and we go on for the Lord. And then also to show us that the man who became the father of faith, who was called the father of faith, the father of the faithful, occasionally failed some tests in his life. And so even though he might be called one of the greatest men of faith, he failed some tests, and so will you, and so so will I in our lives. And yet Abraham went on with God, and for God, and served the Lord. We looked at the first test, first of all, with reference to his family. And God was testing the fervor of his faith. You remember he asked him, God asked Abraham to leave Ur Ur the Chaldees, to leave behind his family and his, his homeland, and to go to a place that God would show him. And he passed that test, but he kind of stopped in Haran and stayed there for a couple of years, three years, I think, waiting for his father to pass before he went on. So he passed the test, but not immediately. The second test was in reference to his food and the sufficiency of his faith. God told him to go to Canaan, and there was a famine there. Would he trust God to supply his need even in the famine? 
Sometimes in our life, we go through difficult times, struggles financially, and we have to learn, can we trust God or will we trust God even in the tough times and the difficult times in our life? The third test we looked at was a test with, with reference to his fellowship. And God was testing the humility of his faith. You remember he and Lot, their crops and their, or their cattle and their herds grew so great there was not a, enough grazing land and so forth for them together. So they had to separate and go their separate ways. And Abraham told Lot, you pick whatever you want and I'll take the other. And Lot chose the best looking land which was Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, it's well watered, it's a good place for cattle, I'll go there. But God said that it was a wicked place. God knew what it was really like. And he chose what looked the best, Abraham got the desert. And I said this, and I, I want you to remember, God always gives his best to those that leave the choice with him. If you'll leave the choice with the Lord and you'll trust him, God will always give you the best. The fourth test was with reference to his forgiveness and the character of his faith. After Lot had chosen the best, Lot went down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and the, the five kings came and captured Lot and his people and all their possessions. And now Abraham has to make a choice. Will he forgive Lot and go fight for Lot and rescue him? Or would he just say, well, deserves him right. He got what he deserved and let it go. And God tested the, t the character of his faith. He passed that with flying colors. He went and took his 318 servants and fought against five kings and their armies and defeated them and brought back Lot and his family and their possessions. The fifth test was in reference to his desire for fortune. God tested the dignity of his faith. The king of Sodom, after Abraham had brought them back, he said to Abraham, he said, you take all the money and you take all of the goods, just leave me the people. And you can have all the wealth. And Abraham said, I will not take even a shoelace from you because I don't want you to say later on in life that Abraham is blessed and rich and, and fulfilled because of what the king of Sodom gave him. He said, I want God to get the glory. And he refused to take the wealth from the king of Sodom. And then the last test we talked about last week was in reference to the desires of his flesh. And God tested the patience of his faith. God had promised him a son, Isaac, and we're going to talk about that son in just a moment. And he didn't have a son. And time went by, and finally Sarah said, looks like I'm not going to have a son. Looks like I'm not able to. And Abraham thought, well, you're not able to, but I am. And so he took Hagar. She gave, Sarah gave Hagar to him to be his wife. And so he took her. He had a son, Ishmael. And there have always been problems through the years between Isaac and Ishmael and their descendants. And still battles going on today because of that. And Abraham failed that test miserably. Right before he comes to the biggest test that he would face in his life. And that's the test we want to look at today. The test with reference to his faith. God is now testing the, matur the maturity of his faith. Has he grown in his walk with the Lord? Has he developed and matured? And he certainly had. If you read the chapters between chapter 17 and 22, you find some interesting things in those chapters. Ishmael was born, and there were problems with Ishmael. There were problems between Sarai and, and Hagar. There was problems in that whole situation. And finally, Abraham after he entertained God and after he had become an intercessor for Lot and after he had an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, a Christophany in the Old Testament, after 58 years of following God, 
He sets aside Hagar and Ishmael in chapter 20. And I want to say that that reminds us that all of the sins of the past have to be set aside before we pass the greatest tests in our life of our faith. The sins of the past have to be dealt with, and they have to be set aside so that God can use us. And this test for Abraham came directly from the hand of God himself. In fact, it says in verse number 1 of chapter 22, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt, or God did test Abraham. And he said unto him, Abraham, he said, Behold, here am I. He said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. So God is telling him, this is directly from the hand of God. Isaac is his, his actually second-born son, but he's the real heir to the promise. He's the only son that God recognized. Many theologians believe that Isaac at this time was 33 years of age, the same age of the Lord Jesus. In chapter 22 and 23 and 24 of Genesis you have a complete overview of the New Testament all the way back here in the first book of the Old Testament. In chapter 22, we'll see in a moment, a son is sacrificed, which shows and is a picture of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross at Calvary in the New Testament. In chapter 23, Sarah dies and is set aside and is a picture of Israel being set aside and the gospel going to the Gentile people in the New Testament. In chapter 24, you find the servant of Abraham goes out to secure a bride for Isaac. And today, the Holy Spirit of God walks to and fro through this earth, seeking a bride for the Lord Jesus Christ, His church. So the whole of the, of the New Testament is pictured all the way back here in these three chapters in the Old Testament. But God comes to Abraham at this time, and God gives him a big test. And this 22nd chapter is the... Substitute chapter, it's called. It is the chapter that tests the sufficiency of our faith. There will have to be in every one of our lives, there will have to be some substitutes that we will have to make if we're going to pass this test with relation to the sufficiency of our faith. Again, verse number 1 says, And it came to pass after these things. We've studied 58 years of the history of Abraham. And we find that Abraham now has to make some substitutes in his life. The first substitute that you and I will have to make and that Abraham had to make was he had to substitute revelation for reason. Revelation for reason. Go back with me to verse number 1 of chapter 22. It says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, or test Abraham. We spent some time talking about that earlier. And said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took the two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. God had said to Abraham sometime before this that I'm going to give you a son. And that son will become the heir of the promise. In him, many nations of the earth will be blessed. Ishmael has to be taken to the desert and has to be left there with his mother Hagar. And the sins of the past, as I said, have to be dealt with, have to be purged, and have to be gone. 
And then the Lord comes to Abraham, and Abraham takes his son, who's about 33 years of age at this time, and and God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take this son that I've promised you, that I've promised that will be the blessing of many nations. I want you to take him up on Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice to me. That was a revelation from God. He had the clear word of God. God revealed to him his word. And God speaks directly to Abraham. Now, on the face, it looks like that's contradictory. God's promised to bless his seed and to bless many nations, and it would be through Isaac. And now Isaac's going to be taken up there, taken up on the mountain and offered as a sacrifice. Isaac has no wife yet. Isaac has no children yet. How's God going to bless many nations through his seed if he doesn't even, he's not even married yet? But Abraham said, I'm going to quit reasoning like I did back at Haran, and I'm going to listen to the word of God. We oftentimes reason with God, don't we? We say things like, how can I give that amount? Or how can I go to that mission field? Or how can I drive that bus or work on that bus route? Or how can I teach that Sunday school class? Or how can I sing in the choir? We, we begin to reason with God. How can I? Aren't you glad when God calls us, God also equips us and enables us to do whatever He wants us to do? Notice something about the full circle here. The first test that Abraham had 58 years ago had to do with his family. He was to leave his family and he was to go to a land that God would show him. And now the test comes back around and he's reliving this man who's to be the father of the faithful. It's right back to his family. He's now dealing with his prized son. His only son, the passage says, because God only recognized the son that was born to Sarah. God only recognized Isaac, not Ishmael. And so Abraham says, I will obey the revelation from the word of God, and that's a good thing for all of us, amen? To listen to the word of God, to obey what God says and God shows us in his word. And the Bible tells us that Abraham believed that God would even raise Isaac from the dead in order to fulfill his promise. In other words, instead of reasoning and saying, how can God do all of this? He said, I'll take God at his word, and if God has to raise my son from the dead, God will still keep his promise. He'll still keep his word. When we quit reasoning and start trusting in the word of God, we'll pass the test of our faith. Though it looked contradictory to, to Abraham... What God had promised, he moved on revelation, the revealed word of God. It's kind of like the ramas that we talked about. As we read the Bible, God gives us those ramas, those passages of Scripture that speak to us and give us direction and instruction, and we step out by faith and follow the word of God and stop reasoning, trying to figure it all out in our own minds. He substituted revelation for reasonings. The second substitute Abraham had to make was he had to substitute work for words. Work for words. Look at verse number 3 again. It says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and he saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Notice how much in that verse Abraham argued with God about what God told him to do. I don't see any arguing, do you? 
It just says he rose up and went. Early in the morning, he got up and went. It's not like the three years of delay he had back in Haran when he had to wait on Terah, his father, to die. Abraham now had learned a great deal in his walk with faith. He's not going to wait any longer for things to work out like he thinks they ought to. He's going to do what God told him to do. He's going to get to the work instead of the words of arguing with God. Now to do that, it required some action. It required some action. He got up early in the morning and he said, I'll go right to where God told me to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to do I'm going to obey. He had to act. He had to do something. And then it also required accuracy. He tells us again in verse number 3 that he went unto the place of which God had told him. You see, sometimes we want to do what God says, but we want to do it our way. Abraham said, no, I'm going to do it exactly like God said. He went to the place where God ordered him to go. And he did what God told him to do. By the way, on the way to Mount Moriah, he passed three other mountains. He could have said, I'm an old man and I'm getting kind of tired. Why don't I just take Isaac up on one of these mountains and offer him up to the Lord on this mountain? Why do I have to go all the way to Mount Moriah? I'll just build an altar and sacrifice here. Are you listening? God had a ram caught in the thicket on Mount Moriah. And had Abraham not gone to the place where God told him to go, you know what would have happened? Isaac would have died. Isaac would have died. Because he would not have kept the challenge that God told him to go exactly where God sent him to go. You and I will learn somewhere in our life that we, if we're going to be a faithful person to the Lord, we must substitute work for words We're going to have to stop sitting around arguing with God and and start obeying God. We're going to have to take God at His word and take His word at face value. We go exactly where He told us to go. We go exactly when He told us to go. And we do exactly what God told us to do. It required some accuracy to do it God's way. Remember, Hagar and Sarah, he did it man's way and messed up on the last test. Now he's learned, I better do it God's way and do what God wants. And then it also requires privacy for publicity. It requires privacy for publicity. Look at verse number 5. It says, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. He took two of his servants with him. And Abraham's now about to start up on the mountain And he says to his servants, he says, you guys wait here. And Isaac and I are going up on the mountain to worship the Lord. But then he said, and we will come again to you. At the end of verse number 5. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. He knew what he was going to do. He was going up there to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. But he said, we, I and the young lad will go and we're coming back. Those two servants... Had they gone up there on the mountain with Abraham? Had they seen Abraham up there setting up an altar and putting the wood on it and binding Isaac and putting him on that wood on the altar? They would have said, the old man is senile. He's out of his mind. And they would have stopped him from doing what God told him to do. But you see, 
True worship, and I hope you get this this morning, true worship is a private act. It takes place between you and your God. We have to be separated sometimes from the hindrances that will keep us from truly worshiping God. And there will be hindrances. The devil will make sure of that. Someone will always try to keep you from doing what God's told you to do. They'll argue with you. They'll try to stop you. Yes, we need to seek counsel from other people, but we need to be faithful to do what God tells us to do. This private worship required an anticipation of victory. An anticipation of victory. He said in verse 5, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. He anticipated the victory that he would come back. He fully meant to offer Isaac up on the altar as a sacrifice to the Lord, but he believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead and bring him back. So his faith is optimistic. He's anticipating a victory. He said, I'll do what God told me to do, and I'll guarantee you God will do what he said he would do. And Then he said, I'm going to do this privately. You guys stay here. We're going up there, me and Isaac. You see, he could have said to those two servants, boys, I want you to come on up here and with me. I want you to watch me. I want you to see what a great man of faith I am. I want you to watch Isaac killed, and I want you to watch God raise him from the dead. Let me show off a little bit for you. I'm greatly concerned about these so-called faith healers in our day-to-day who always are making a big show. I'm greatly concerned about people that always have to show off their spirituality. No, Abraham said, this is worship. This is a private matter between me and Isaac and God. And then notice also it required facts for feelings. It required facts for feelings. Look at verse number 8. And Abraham said, my son, verse 7, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. He said, here am I, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac had enough sense to know what they were going up there for. They had the wood, they had the fire, but where's the lamb? Verse 8, Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And they went, both of them together. You ought to underline those those words, God will provide himself. That was a picture of Jesus. It was looking forward to God, Jesus, the Son of God, providing himself as a lamb on the cross at Calvary, as a sacrifice for our sin. Just as that ram became a substitute for, for Isaac, Jesus became the substitute for you and me, and he died on our place on the cross at Calvary so that we would not have to face the judgment of God for our sins. And so here's Abraham. Facts claim God's promises. God will provide himself a lamb. That's a fact of Scripture. He says it to Isaac. God will provide himself a lamb. And Abraham believed that fact. You know how Abraham must have felt? I can't begin to imagine. He's, he's got to offer his only son. He's got to take the life of his only son. Isaac, many believe, was 33 years of age. Abraham was an old man. He didn't feel like offering his son. Isaac didn't have to go. He went voluntarily. 
He didn't have to get up on that altar. He went voluntarily obedient to the Father because he had faith in his Father. His Father had faith in his Heavenly Father. By, by the way, that's how we pass our faith on to our children, as Abraham did. We better be consistent in our Christian life. We better live it. You better be the best Christian your kids have ever known as they watch your life. God will provide Himself a lamb, and Isaac believed his father because his father believed his heavenly father. And Abraham went to the top of that mountain. He built that altar and then he asked Isaac to climb up on the altar. He had to bind him, and Isaac could have run. Abraham is substituting facts for feelings. He didn't feel like it, but he knew the facts of God's Word. I just don't feel like God wants me to do that, we say sometimes. Get into the Word of God and find the facts and do what God wants you to do. It's not what I feel like doing, it's what God says for me to do. Amen? The facts of the Word of God. It required facts for feelings. And then it also required readiness for reluctance. It required readiness for reluctance. Look at verse number 9. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. You see, Abraham was not reluctant. He was ready to do what God asked him to do. He was willing to go all the way with God. He took the knife. He raised it. He's ready to take the life of his son when the angel stopped him. He did not hesitate. He put him on the altar. He raised the knife. He knew what he was supposed to do. And you know what? God knew his intentions. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 17 says. It says, By faith Abraham offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. What it says is, in the eyes of God, Abraham offered his son. God knew his intentions. And he was ready to take that in the mind of God, Abraham offered his son. He didn't take his life, but he gave his son as far as God was concerned. He offered him. And he looked up. And there was a ram caught in the thicket. And the angel said, Abraham, you've passed the greatest test of your life, the test with reference to your faith. You believed God. You believed that if you took the life of your son, God would raise your son again. God would keep his promise. You believe even though God asked you to take the son, which was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ being offered on the cross for our sins at Calvary. And every person that is born again Every person that is saved must come through that sacrifice, that substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ. But Abraham was saying, I'm ready to do whatever it is that God tells me to do. I'm not reluctant to do it. And though I may feel like it's a hard thing to do, the fact is I believe God and by faith I'm going to do what God told me to do. 
It required readiness for reluctance. And then it brings rewards for regrets. It brings rewards for regrets. All this book of Genesis is filled with the story of Abraham, the father of the faithful. You read about him over and over and over again, how God blessed him and how God blessed all the nations of the earth. First of all, it brings a substitute for the believer. It's a wonderful picture of Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross at Calvary, he was my substitute. He was your substitute. Just as God provided the ram as a substitute for Isaac, he provided Jesus as a substitute for you and me. It brings a substitute for the believer. And then it brings satisfaction to God. Look at verse number 14, if you would. It says, And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. You see, Abraham said, The Lord sees every need, and the Lord provides every need. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Jehovah-Jireh, God looks down and He sees Isaac ready to, or Abraham ready to take the son Isaac, and He sees there's a need, and God provides a ram that's caught in the thicket to take care of that need. He provided the lamb. And every one of us here today have a need of a Savior, and God has provided the Lamb for you and for me that we might have salvation. And it brought satisfaction to the God the Father. He was satisfied with the sacrifice of His Son on the cross at Calvary. And though Abraham stopped and didn't take the life of Isaac, he did take the life of the Ram. And Jesus became that Lamb, and His life was taken for you and me. It brings a substitute to the believer it brings satisfaction to God, and it brings strengthening to the faithful. It brings strengthening to the faithful. Look at what it says in verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and he said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Many nations have been blessed because Abraham obeyed the voice of God. One man was faithful, and he gave an example to all the rest of us. Abraham walked with 58 years with God before he came to this great test, before he came to the time of the maturity of his faith. You see, you don't get it overnight. You don't get mature faith instantly. It doesn't come all at one time. There will be tests in every one of our lives. And we'll fail some of them. Some of you have already failed the test with reference to your flesh. But praise God, the greatest test that Abraham faced with reference to his, his flesh, he failed that right before he passed the greatest test. And God didn't give him up or throw the clay away or throw him aside. God raised him up and God used him. And he passed this, flying this last test with flying colors. Because the Bible says he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He believed God. Will you know that in your lifetime, you will be tested? And will you know that as you are tested, you can believe God to help you to grow in your maturity because you did the same thing Abraham did. You 
believed God. It starts out by our putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, believing in God's substitute, Jesus, for my sin and for your sin. The songwriter wrote, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and bled and died. But Jesus, God's Son, took my place. And He took your place. And our only hope of heaven is through that substitute, through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross at Calvary. And when we believe God... You see, it's God that said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It is God that said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you and I will believe God, see, we take God at his word. He said, if you'll believe, if you'll call, if you'll trust me, I will save you. That's his word. We take him at his word. And we trust in the sacrifice of His Son and the shed blood on the cross at Calvary. And God says He forgives us and saves us and we become a child of God. We did the same thing Abraham did. We believed God. That's how we got saved. And as we grow and as we walk with the Lord, we believe God. We trust God. We take Him at His word. Some tests we fail. Some tests we, fa- we pass. Sometimes God has to bring us through full circle, back through the same test like Abraham test with his family again. And God gives us victory if we'll take God at His word. Believe Him and do what He wants us to do. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank You for the great example of the life of Abraham. The tests that he had to deal with. The struggles that he had to go through along the way with family and food and fellowship and forgiveness, fortune, money, his flesh, the desires of the flesh, and the maturity of his faith. Lord, many of us have gone through a number of these tests in our life. And we'll face other tests. Would you help us to take you at your word? To believe you, to know that you're going to test us, but to know that you can be trusted. Would you help us to put our faith and trust in the Word of God, not in our feelings, not in human reasoning, but in what thus saith the Lord. And may we obey. And may we pass with flying colors and become the mature Christians that you want us to be. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.